In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. I was watching this missing 411 documentary, mm. uh, you know, the new one that's about the, the different disappearances in the national parks. This is a documentary in quotations, right? Because <laughs> no, it's like, oh, it's all no. make em. It's a make em up, right? Honestly, this is a big deal okay. because the idea is that the National Park Services will not put a put together a national database of missing people in their parks. And they've got a lot of different people. Little kids go yeah. missing every year. 40,000 kids. Um, and so they played a snippet of Coast to Coast AM and I forgot. And I swear to God, it's George Norrie in the background. And I hear him going, Hey, tell we have an expert here on uh, werewolves. Now tell me, if a werewolf got a haircut, what kind of haircut would they get? <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, though, if a werewolf got a haircut, uh -huh. what kind of haircut would a werewolf get? Well, I bet they keep it long. I think we can all agree they would get a brush cut, just like <laughs> Timothy McVeigh. And by the way, this research uh, from today uh, in today's episode is absolutely amazing. Uh, we're going to get into the Turner Diaries a little bit later on in the episode. Henry Zabrowski had a chance to read it, and I want to applaud you for not having a brush cut right now. <laughs> I was slightly concerned we were going to have a Scientology part two where you got a little bit too serious and a little bit too into it. It's not a good book. Can I, I'm going to put that out forward. I'm going to say, first of yeah. all, on Goodreads, and I'll tell you why, it's, it's very interesting. It's got three stars on Goodreads, and mm. I'm going to say it needs a one star. I agree because with Because it is controversial. Do not read the Turner Diaries. You will be so upset. Yeah. You're not going to like it. I'm, they're going to give me an opportunity to rail against it in a little bit. In a little bit. You'll be just as dumb as Tim, Timothy McVeigh, and nobody wants that. We're on to Timothy McVeigh Part 2. We're going to get to know the guy a little bit better. Absolutely. But before we really get into Timothy McVeigh, uh, I feel like that we need to uh, address some things that people have uh, said about the last episode. We need to address our new Waco stance. Oh, okay. Yes. What's, what's the new Waco stance? Well, I'm not for it. <laughs> I'm against it? <laughs> not necessarily new Waco stance, but more like an evolved Waco stance. Okay. Uh, and I think what it comes from is I, I think people were saying that uh, during our Waco episodes that we, we placed uh, pretty much zero blame on the Branch Davidians, placed oh. all of the blame on the ATF, but in our last episode, huh. uh, we, of course, put more blame on the Branch Davidians, and that has more to do with uh, us finally hearing the audio recording of Branch Davidians saying, yeah. David said to pour the gas, right? It's like, yep, David said to pour the gas. With, uh, do that I was do it on the kids? <laughs> well, wait a second, wait oh, a second. My goodness. Fuck these kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah. as new information comes to light, we'll always evolve uh, in our thinking and uh, our point of view. I've always blamed David Koresh's glasses, uh, so I've, <laughs> I've had a staunch, uh, I'm opposed to aviator sunglasses because mm -hmm. nothing has ever good uh, come out of someone wearing them. 
But the ATF did fuck up, yeah, right? Obviously, course. we're saying, look, obviously they're at least partially to blame, but mostly in my eyes, after doing research, especially for these last couple episodes, which is some of the most upsetting research I've ever done, nothing like truly hiding your computer at work <laughs> while I have the Turner Diaries up and like all of these like William Pierce like yeah. lectures up, which I'm just bad news. It's all so bad hold news. On. You, you're researching something that you have to hide from the cast of your pretty face is going to hell. That's <laughs> yes. on Adult Swim. Okay, yes. maybe we are. Maybe it is a little bit too intense. Yeah. Well, I am the white devil. And so I'm reading all of this bullshit, and it really does make me kind of swing more towards, I mean, the Branch Davidians kind of asked for it. If you want Armageddon, and you're saying that you mm. want Armageddon to happen, and then you're going to spark it. They sparked it, and the ATF provided that. But the problem is, is that the ATF, in their fuck-up, they created the optics that the the patriot movement slash white supremacist movement will then use to yep. radicalize people. Absolutely. And that's really where the biggest fuck up is, is that picture, the picture of the compound burning, the the tank going in and it like looking at ripping through the wall, like that kind of shit is what it's very easy to get a bunch of yokels whipped up if you just got plenty of pictures and of course the information there was a lot of informa uh, information gaps and those gaps were filled by anyone who wanted to fill them with whatever uh, strange political philosophy they wanted to fill them with well I would also say like I, I wouldn't say that the Branch Davidians were asking for it David Koresh was asking for it sure, uh, yes. they, all of these things happen under the direction of David Koresh David Koresh uh, directed them to stockpile weapons he directed them to do it in an illegal way uh, and then once the ATF uh, descended and the FBI descended when the uh, FBI and the ATF gave him an out uh, to end this whole thing. He went back on his yep. promise, uh, and uh, in the end, it was David Koresh who decided to not only burn down the buildings, yep. but if you look at the forensics of uh, the bodies who were found in the ashes of Waco, uh, a lot of them were shot in the head it's by each other. I mean, it, it, this is something that this, people fell under the spell of a cult leader, and they mm. ended up dead for it because that cult leader, like Henry said, wanted Armageddon. It's like the book, The Secret. He had a dream and a vision for the yes. future, and he made it come true. And that is a joke, but it's also exceptionally accurate and true. But let's get into Timothy McVeigh, shall we? Yes. Well, no, one thing I wanted to say, too, is that also what McVeigh, what Waco provided was a meeting spot for all these racist idiots to show up and spread a bunch of literature at the foothills of the compound, mm. which is sort of made it almost as bad as Woodstock 98. I was going to say Bonnaroo, <laughs> yeah. So the Bonnaroo for white supremacists. Well, Timothy James McVeigh, let's get into the bio of the man himself. Timothy James McVeigh was born the middle child of three on April 23rd, 1968 in Lockport, New York to Mickey and William McVeigh. And contrary to what you might think, McVeigh was actually raised in upstate New York in the Buffalo suburb of Pendleton. Now, what was he born with the brush cut? <laughs> That's what I want to know. He's, when he crowned, did the doctor be like, we have a white supremacist on our hands? I will say, though, if he is from being from Buffalo, you could see where he got the chip on his shoulder. Oh. Everybody <laughs> above Westchester is so jealous of New York City. According to a neighbor, as a child, McVeigh always wanted to play the hero in any Cowboys and Indians, Cops, and Roberts type of games. From a young age, McVeigh always saw himself as the avenging spirit riding wrongs, i.e. the good guy. Of course he did. Now, while playing one of these games in 1973, McVeigh slipped and fell while standing on a metal milk carton, and he landed on his head, giving McVeigh the now almost customary head injury 
that we find in most mass murders. I have to wonder why was he standing on the milk jug or the milk carton? It doesn't sound like a very fun game. You get the feeling he was just pretending to be George Wallace, and he's just like, <laughs> I'm the hero of this situation. And everyone's like, George Wallace is a horrible governor. Uh, he's a racist and a bigot. Am I the hero? <laughs> Uh, years later, when Star Wars hit, McVeigh made his own lightsabers out of flashlights and golf club tubes and pretended to be Luke Skywalker, which was a fantasy that little Timmy would never grow out of. Sometimes what I hope is that there's some kind of like bigger man, an older man who comes and he's got a long beard and he's sitting, he's, he teaches me, he takes me out to a cave and he teaches me all about the, the wonders and delights of physically exploring my sister. And I'm psychic. Sounds like uh, Osama bin Laden or something. Yes. Oh man, Star Wars is a story of space Osama bin Laden. Yeah. That's what Luke Skywalker is. Oh, you're not original on that one. Yeah, that that is the it it's is the story. Yeah. <laughs> It's been talked about a lot. A lot of people had a hot take about that. Yeah, there's been a lot of hot takes about Luke, Luke Skywalker being radicalized over the years. Yeah. Now, McVeigh was also a devoted reader of comic books and a hardcore Trekkie, particularly when Star Trek The Next Generation came out in 1987. Henry will now read an excerpt from a letter McVeigh wrote as an adult uh -huh. comparing himself to the different characters in Star Trek The Next Generation. Wow. Jean-Luc Picard. Most respected man in Starfleet knows all the systems. Highly skilled diplomat, yet lonely man. Keeps his emotions in check. No quality I dislike or don't understand. Worf, the consummate warrior. I do consider myself a warrior. Data, android, so no emotion. Like myself, logic rules. He's a Spock equivalent. I'd say the Spock derivative. If we want to get down to it, I mean, in the end, he's obviously a, co a copy. He's a lesser Spock. He's a poor man's Spock. But at the same time, I appreciate the Android aspect because I like the idea that humankind would advance. This is all, this, that's just me. <laughs> LaForge, chief engineer, highly proficient in this field. I absolutely relate to the pride and care he takes in the upkeep of his systems, which you don't even know. Right, you don't know. <laughs> You're just making that up. No, of course. No, actually, oh, I, will, I will say to his, in his defense, Jordy uh, LaForge. George always did take much pride in knowing the engineering section of the Starship Enterprise backwards. We've got the world's most extreme nerd alert, nerd alert, nerd alert. Timothy McVeigh, the biggest nerd in history. Nerd alert. Now, the book American Terrace, where much of McVeigh's biographical information comes from, is the only one that took the story straight from McVeigh's mouth and he does try as hard as he can to make himself look good throughout. Mm. Well, you could tell because of his haircut. Yeah. In the end, a, a man who takes pride in his experience will always make sure to push all of his hair to the very top <laughs> of his head like it's a shitty fucking hat. That's it. Now, McVeigh's line was that he always hated bullies because he himself had been bullied as a child, with the American government being the biggest bully of all. But compared to even just what the three of us went through, not yeah. even... Counting everything that our listeners have gone through, just compared to what we went through, McVeigh's bully stories are mild, to say the least. Totally mild. And sometimes bullies are accurate. Like, sometimes <laughs> they to pick me, like, out Timothy... the right people. Yeah, McVeigh wasn't bullied enough. <laughs> yeah, McVeigh probably should have gotten the shit beat out of him, unless he was taught maybe the magic of theater. Oh. And that's where bullies can sometimes lead kids to the right place. They go to a place of misfits, you know, where he can 
dance and sing his way, get his rage out that way. He would have been great. Mm-hmm. Now, one story McVeigh told was of a kid who stole his baseball cap and then punched McVeigh when McVeigh tried to get it back. And, of course, McVeigh started crying in front of a bunch oh, of other kids. That is, I can't believe what he's been through. <laughs> I too much. Stop it, Marcus. In the other it instance is when a bunch of older kids tried and failed. Failed. To give him a swirly. Oh, Stop poor guy. It, Marcus, why would you even The say trauma that? is too much. We've covered a lot of things on this show, but the bullying uh, experience of Timothy uh, McVeigh might just be uh, the one that broke Henry. I weep. I weep for him. Well, that was it. That's all he that's went it. through. That's it. You know, he's, that, he's not that, bullied. That's it. No, he, he was not. He wasn't bullied. He had, a, a, had some kids give him shit a couple times. The only other thing that was kind of sort of mean that since McVeigh was tall and lanky, uh, kids called him Noodle Mc, Noodle McVeigh. I no. wish okay. my nickname was Hippo. <laughs> I wish that people would have called me Noodle Kissel, and I'd be like, I am kind of thin, aren't I? My nickname was Jackass. Yeah, well, it's kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was a hyper kid, you know, like I didn't know when to shut up. So yeah, it was just Get Jackass. Yeah, jackass. <laughs> hey, Story. hey, hey, look. Look, look, I found some dirt. Hey, 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 look. I found this rock. Hey, 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 look. That's not that far <laughs> off, Austin. It is, <laughs> it is a nickname that Grandpa would give Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> jackass! <laughs> you get over here! Sounds like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle-like side villain. <laughs> also, Noodle McVeigh... If he just had the wherewithal to understand that there would be whole channels devoted to cooking and right. to food... He would have been incredible, like, cart noodle, like, around the world kind of guy. Hey, I'm Noodle McVeigh, and here we're checking out Udon. Like, that would have been so much fun. I love good ramen. So in 1979, McVeigh's parents split for the first time, and so in looking for a stabilizing family figure, McVeigh turned to his paternal grandfather, Ed McVeigh. Ed was the one who introduced him to the wonderful world of guns, which would become a lifelong love and obsession for Timothy McVeigh. Now, it does seem to me like Ed McVeigh sounds like a name of a man who would love yachts. Doesn't he sound like a guy who just gets a yacht and brags about it, but there's no there's no water around for like a thousand miles? Oh, you got to go and check out my yacht. And it's just like a chair with a bunch of balloons tied to the sides of it. I uh, Honestly... Again, you can have a collection of guns. Yes. I think I understand that. Have a collection of guns. I watched a video today of this guy who was the world's most armed man. He had this little, like, he had all these tanks and and, and anti-aircraft guns, which is probably a little irresponsible, but he seemed to be making it like a museum. The only thing you cannot do is stockpile guns. And that's sort of the difference between, like, an Etsy shop version of guns and, like, a Costco of guns right where you just don't have the costco of guns yeah you just have all different types you can yeah if you like say like hey i need a pistol and a shotgun and a rifle great but you don't need 16 glocks 32 ak-47s you just don't need them unless you are a gun business right yourself which i guess you can say that I can't wait to get a bunch of guns. <laughs> <laughs> well, really, this whole goddamn thing comes down to McVeigh's love of guns. See, right. McVeigh, he didn't give a shit about the Branch Davidians as a people. Mm-hmm. He was just concerned because the government was coming for their guns. And in fact, the final straw for McVeigh wasn't even Waco. The final straw was the Brady Bill and the assault rifle ban in the uh, early 90s. Yeah. 
And then Brady Bill took 10 years to pass. The government was not coming after their guns. It's a total misnomer, a complete lie. Gun sales under a Democratic presidency skyrocket. The irony is under Trump, they're down 17%. Yeah. Because they're just like chilled out under President Trump. Meanwhile, Jeff Sessions is like, give me your family. I'm putting him in jail. <laughs> Everyone's getting detained. Well, they're not getting all whipped up all the time. That's what happens when whoever is in the, on the other side of power, especially right. when a Democrat's in power, all of the gun owners get all whipped up by the NRA and all of these other guys in order to drum up gun sales. Yeah. It's a simple formula. And the Brady Bill was like nothing. nothing. Simple background check that's been dismantled ever since anyway. I want a whip. <laughs> I'm going to train myself how to use a whip because that is a silent weapon that you can also use as a belt. No, that's a good point. <laughs> but before we get to the Brady Bill and all that type of shit, we got to talk about Burger King. Ooh. Yeah, it's oh. my favorite. El Rey de la hamburguesa. I love Burger King. I oh, I used to work at Burger King. You know that. I got fired for impregnating the chicken nugget with, with barbecue sauce and ketchup. <laughs> and then, we know this. Yeah. We know your legacy mm. that you left behind at the Stevens Point Burger King. No, it was good. So in 1985, McVeigh started a years-long career of flipping burgers. While he was working at Burger King, he met the woman who would make the then 17-year-old Timmy a man. I don't want to hear this story. <laughs> you don't want to hear how Timothy I, McVeigh lost his virginity? Uh, yeah, you uh, know what? You should, be thankful, you should be thankful he lost his virginity or else we would have had four Oklahoma City bars. <laughs> probably true. And according to McVeigh, a married woman 10 years his senior started flirting with him while he was at work. And he eventually... Hey, Jan. Hey, Jan Noodle. How you doing? I can't help but see you seem to trade your daytime shift for a nighttime shift so you can be close to the old Gunther. Yeah, they call me Gunther. Oh, and tell me, how'd you get your hair looking like it's all at the very top of your head? That's so nice. It's so economical. I bet you fuck good. Oh, she sounds like a woman whose favorite show would be Storage Wars. <laughs> you don't know it, then they? You know, no, these I, I, clever guys outside, they're guessing. But they don't know that's where the drama is. So did you want the Whopper and what onion rings? Yeah, I tell you what, you want my onion I, ring. Ma'am, uh, I... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess I do. <laughs> well, McVeigh eventually worked up the courage to ask her over to his dad's house while his dad was at work, and the older woman took little Noodle's virginity. Oh, so gross. Tell me something. Tell me. Did they call you Noodle for a reason? I sure hope so, because I like them long and thin. <laughs> All right, I do <laughs> not want to hear that. in my key slot. It's just a tiny little hole because they had to stuff up all the rest because I split it too much while I was riding my scooter around. <laughs> I split my vagina off all the way to the top of my belly buttons so a doctor had a staple to shut and now I got a tiny little hole. A down. lot of detail. I don't think we need to go into it anymore. <laughs> we've covered her. Oh. I think we've covered the most unsavory character we've ever covered. The woman who took Timothy McVeigh's virginity. That We're American hero. <laughs> Well, about a year after that, Tim graduated high school in 1986. His yearbook quote was, Take it as it comes, buy a Lamborghini, California girls. Just sounds like his favorite favorite musician was Joe Walsh, and he just <laughs> wanted to live that life so bad. The front, the front row of a Sammy Hagar concert, just like, woo, woo, Sammy, fuck Van Halen. Fuck Van Halen. Seriously, I hate Van Halen. Now you can stream the live TV you love for just 40 bucks a month with Sling TV. 
Get your favorite channels and shows for the best price. If you want live sports, Sling has all the football playoffs and pro and college basketball. Stay up to date with breaking news from around the world with MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News. Sling also has reality, TV, popular entertainment, kid shows, and more. Sling costs almost half as much as other live TV providers, so you can watch more and pay less. Sling is easy. Sign up in minutes, stream at home or on the go on up to three devices, and record up to 50 hours with included DVR space. Get flexible channel lineups that put you in control. Pause, change, or cancel your service at any time. You'll never get locked into a long-term contract. Check out Sling.com for special offers. Sling, the live TV you love for a price you'll love. The last podcast on the left is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Thanks, Squarespace! With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website, all on your own terms. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. This ain't your mama's website platform. It is, actually. It's actually be very easy for your mother to learn. You don't want to miss Fluid Engine. It's a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. I thought it was just the name of what my blood pressure medication turned me into. Um, I'm peeing. Now, my goals for the year are I have two warehouses filled with horse picks. Now, I know a lot of people, uh, obviously this bit has been done, but the Zendaya Centaur picks are not going anywhere, and I've been trying to get the Judge Reinhold sitting on the Clydesdale line out. Uh, I need these moved, okay, because I have to move into the storage unit. Let's just say there are problems at home. So I need Squarespace to shoot this through the roof for me this year, and that's why I'm going to go full tilt. And not only are you going to get the Judge Reinhold sitting on the Clydesdale entire series, clothes and non-clothed, what we also are going to offer, and I mean this, we're trying to get into giraffe rides. I brought this up the other day. We got to start riding other animals but horses. Take pictures of the horses. Photoshop the horses into other celebrities, but stop riding them. Save a horse. Ride a giraffe with Squarespace. Go head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com. Hey, have you heard the Virginia Lottery has a new Willy Wonka golden ticket scratcher that has a top prize of $100,000? Tell that to my automated golden ticket scratcher apparatus. You simply put the ticket in here and the machine scratches it for you. And while we wait, we can play the Willy Wonka Golden Ticket online game with a top prize of $1 million. Just visit VALottery.com or use the lottery app. That's one impressive scratcher apparatus. Use it whenever. What's mine is yours. But hands off the scratcher. That Willy Wonka Golden Ticket is all mine. Well, after high school, Tim took the love of guns instilled in him by his grandfather a step further and started subscribing to various hardcore right-wing magazines such as Soldier of Fortune. Mm. And in the back pages of these magazines, Tim found ads for books. He started off with fairly harmless books uh, like one called To Ride, Shoot Straight, and Speak the Truth, uh, which was just, it was kind of like a pro-gun, like survivalist combat manual. It was written uh, by this guy who was the editor 
at large of Guns and Ammo magazine. What's that magazine all about? Guns and Ammo! I see. That's just a clever name. Very good. It's also the kind of super serious gun magazine where they don't even have anything about, like, there's no hot chicks in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just the guns. That's the saddest thing. Like, I think it's totally fine if you have, like, a couple of gun babes in there. I think that's fine. But if there's no gun babes, most of these these weird Republican literature, like this weird, like, gun nut literature is decidedly not very sexy. Well, actually, I think guns... I think Soldier of Fortune is full of gun babes. That's gun babes? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Guns and ammo, there's no gun babes in Guns and Ammo, but Soldier of Fortune, I'm pretty sure they've got a lot of gun babes in there. Very good, very good. Well, this is what one review of uh, Tarad Shoot Straight and Speak the Truth said. This new collection will delight those who thought fireworks didn't have enough gun stuff. There is gun stuff galore in these pages, and the ideas are new and thought-provoking and exciting. Wow, gun stuff. That's what I'm looking for when I read a magazine. There's a How lot to of cook stuff. eggs with a gun. Oh. First, you crack about five or six eggs into a pan. Then you use the gun as the spoon. That's how you cook eggs with a gun. I think that's how Warren Zeba. I think that's how Hunter S. Thompson died, rather. Now, besides the gun stuff, the survivalist stuff spoke to Tim on a personal level because in 1977, western New York, where Tim grew up, was hit with one of the worst blizzards the state had ever seen. A lot of people were totally unprepared and were stranded in their homes for days at a time. And when all was said and done, 23 people were dead. So what are you saying? He's right. saying that they needed guns so they could go outside and shoot the snow? I think you... Like, that, that was no, what they no, were no, going to no, do? They no, had no. to defend themselves no. against the snow? No, he wasn't just a gun nut. He was also a survivalist. Like, right. that, it was... Yeah, he was a survivalist type of guy. That's why he was getting ready for all this stuff. That's why he liked the books, like, To Ride, Shoot Straight, and Speak the Truth. Mm. He I'll tell you what the first problem is, is these Jew clouds. <laughs> these Jew clouds are bringing us these Jew snow, and it's... And these... You know who's not getting out here fast enough? The black snow. No plowman. <laughs> that would be something that Timothy McVeigh might have thought because he's anti-Semitic and racist. <laughs> yes, thank, th- you. thank you, Ben. No problem. <laughs> yeah, and Tim was also obsessed with like post-apocalyptic movies like The Omega Man, Logan's Run, Planet of the Apes. Loved Planet of the Apes. I'm sure he had some special words uh, for when he watched that, but we're not going to go into that. Yes, Timothy McVeigh, that, not yes. a good yes. man. Yeah, like the authors of uh, American Terrorist, they make a really good point when they say that survivalism was pretty much uh, McVeigh's hobby. I mean, like that's survivalism. every humankind's hobby. All of life on Earth, their one hobby is to survive. Right. I don't understand how but, that makes it. That's like, yeah, that's yeah. modern survivalism. Buffalo, New York, 1970s in the 80s. They just go. You go to the store. So I don't even understand. It's not like he's in like the desert of New Mexico. No, a Piggly Wiggly's right there. Just go. Just go to the Piggly Wiggly. He's like, I've survived another day. Uh, uh, there's a there's a special on Hostess Twinkies. Yeah, but it's like, how do you make a fire? You, you don't need to. You go to, you go to yeah, Piggly Wiggly and happens, you get a lighter. But what happens when the Piggly Wiggly is overrun by apes? Oh. <laughs> you know what? Now now you got me. Yeah. Now yeah. Got, yeah. Now you got me. Yeah. Yeah, really, now you can't argue with that. Wow. Now who's right? Wow. Well, like this whole like survivalism thing, like that it's not what sent Timothy McVeigh down the path to Oklahoma City, right. nor was his general love of guns what set him down the path to yeah. Oklahoma City. See, man, there's plenty of people that are way into this shit that are totally law abiding and are probably a lot of fun to hang out with. Like uh, fucking Key Bump from the Adult Swim stream. Sure. I'm sure he's one of these types of guys and he's great to hang out Why with. Why not? He must be. He must be. But think about how fun a bunker is. Exactly. I like the idea of a bunker. I want a bunker. 
matter. The idea of having a lot of fun, different types of guns is a lot of fun. Like those guys that like my grandfather had an old like like unexploded hand grenade that was still alive and he kept it in his office and he would give it to me and I'd play with it a lot and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> that's the truth. It seems yeah. a little dangerous, but that's okay. But it's fun. <laughs> you know, the funniest thing is I, I do watch some of those extreme bunker shows mm-hmm. and they have these elaborate uh, bunkers 30 feet behind, uh, you know, underneath the ground. But then there's always a huge chimney that's like three feet from the ground. <laughs> it's like you just go to that and you'll know where the bunker is. But anyway. Also, there's an entire new millennial propaganda machine called the tiny house industry that is trying to turn bunkers and shacks into being sexy ways to live for cheap but they are still bunkers and shacks they are still to get some weird backyard just because you put a pergola on it doesn't mean it's a fancy little house bunch of lies they're telling us (laughs) lies i agree well what turned mcveigh from hobbyist to true believer was a little book called the turner diaries and the turner diaries is a very poorly written novel released in 1977 that follows the life of a dipshit named Earl Turner who eventually makes a truck bomb to destroy FBI headquarters in response to, to stricter gun laws. Does it sound fucking familiar? Sounds a bit familiar, yeah. Now, Henry, as our resident expert on the Turner Diaries... Good, good. <laughs> yes, keep saying that. Yes, make sure it's recorded. Would you care to elaborate a little bit more on this book as someone who has actually read this hunk of fucking chat? And I also, well, Henry, how many times did you have to say, I'm doing research when people <laughs> found you reading that book? Constantly, because also the way we, when we are in heavy research mode for the show, it's all I can talk about. Yeah. So I'm in there like talking about the Turner Diaries to people, and I realized if anybody just turned turns a corner and I'm in the middle of being like if I just say anything good you could take out a concert being like and they show exactly how to take down the FBI headquarters and then all of a sudden I'm I'm the one I'm the fucking criminal Stu <laughs> not Stu we didn't get to T for a reason on A to Z. <laughs> well, like, uh, fill us in on this book like tell, tell us what the, all this shit's about so the Turner Diaries is a shit-fuck piece of garbage written by another shit-fuck piece of garbage by the name of William Luther Pierce under the pseudonym of Andrew McDonald because he was too much of a pussy to write it under his real name originally until he got known for it. Now, the Turner Diaries is basically a, it's it's just sort of concept about a bunch of, like, rebellious white dudes forming a militia to destroy the Jew-run, black-enforced government. And that they are believe in now it's happened. Now, William, like, William Pierce wrote this. He says as a warning of what will happen if we do not desegregate the United States of America or or resegregate the United States of America. And then he felt that these was just the natural things. He was not trying to inspire the Oklahoma City bombing, except for the fact that the Turner Diaries is a day-by-day diary and a manual to how to run a tiny militia. It shows exactly how to build a fucking truck bomb. It shows you how all the different militias, how they communicate each other, how they fucking, their philosophy. And also, you have to be racist at the very top of reading the Turner Diaries. Yeah, I want Like, there's no, you just get that if you're racist. There's no way, because it kind of assumes you hate all other people besides white uh, white people and basically this whole thing is the basis for the uh anti uh 
saying anti-racist means you're anti-white. Mm-hmm. So I watched the YouTube clip that you sent over. First of all, this guy reminds me of the founding fathers from the movie The Purge. Uh, he has that. <laughs> yeah, with, and also, William it, Pierce is one of the worst pieces of shit on the face of the planet. He was a part of every single, uh, he was part of the John Birch Society. Every one of those conservative strings of people that have ever wanted to ruin everybody's good time. Right. He's always been a part of it. And then he thankfully died of very bad cancer, uh, which is awesome. Well, you know, the interesting thing, though, he says he didn't want to plan or inspire this Oklahoma City bombing. To me, that's like Ikea telling you that when you buy a couch from them, they don't want to show you how to put it together. You know, it's like they get, he literally broke it down in a very plain English how to do something like this. Well, it was Incredibly just- plain interest because you have to be an idiot to be to, to actually take it to be true, right? And, and yeah. to understand the book, he wrote it for dumb people and, and he wrote it for angry people. The idea is that it's it's, a, mm. it's confirming your bias. You're reading this and a part of, it's, it's very interesting because the book, it's it's so it's so step by step as to how to do it and it's it's like what isis does with their but it's also like an action movie so it's like what isis does with their recruitment videos it's idea of it looks super exciting you get to be a part of this whole movement and you get guns and you and you're you're doing different identities and wearing disguises and eventually the the last 20 pages of that book is some of the worst things I've ever read mm. in terms of like forced the the smile on Earl Turner's face as they watched the forced marches of black people across into Mexico and like all of this very very intense stuff like it's yeah. it's radical literature Richard didn't, Spencer stuff yeah didn't they also uh add a love story in there as well I have a whole thing here <laughs> oh his my God. Sex. I wanted to get to this later because this just shows how Timothy McVeigh felt about women and how he felt women should be because it, his whole concept of being like like when he would hit on a woman well the turner diaries didn't just inspire timothy mcveigh they also inspired a white supremacist bank robber gang hmm. uh called the order because the militia in the turner diaries was called the order and these guys modeled their own militia after that and they weren't just bank robbers they also murdered a radio host back in the 80s i'm they gonna were, say they're more murderers then yeah i think yeah, Murder trumps the bank robbery, Yeah, I think right? murder does. Yeah, they, they murdered a Jewish radio host who had spoken out against uh, white nationalism. Oh, my God. Uh, in the the order fell apart because they were a bunch of morons. But then the ARA, the Aryan Republican Army, started up a little bit later, which was kind of the fundraising mechanism for the entire white separatists, whatever the fucking term is. Yeah. Separatists, yeah. They, they, were, they were supposed to raise money by doing politically motivated bank robberies, then we're going to find out that's a conspiracy and of whether or not Timothy McVeigh was a part of the ARA. But they were directly also inspired by the Turner Diaries and a part about this guy named Louis Beam that was talking about this idea of leaderless revolution, which was, again, it's an ISIS technique. It's a terrorist technique. They believe in killing people and and attacking people's families, the concept of collateral damage, all of these people. And the, the worst part is that it's just yokels it's yokels doing all the grunt work because yeah. they're mad and they're easily radicalized by this weird this this uh, this literature and all of these pamphlets and these meetings that basically take the responsibility for their own failures out of their hands and right. put it in everybody else. And then it's mm-hmm. run by technically geniuses. Like William Pierce is technically a very smart man. He was a physicist. He was, and he was a part of, it's very fucked up the way they also mm-hmm. use science to sort of back up their racist ideas and also religion with the Christian identity stuff. All, it's very, it's very weird. This mm-hmm. idea that Europeans are the real mm-hmm. Israelites. Yeah. Now I'm not. That makes con- no sense. Again, you're not taking this seriously, right? What are you talking about? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, that's the thing with Timothy McVeigh uh, is that even though the Turner Diaries is wildly and explicitly racist at almost every turn, yeah. McVeigh always maintained that it was the book's anti-government pro-Second Amendment stance that spoke to him specifically. Because mm-hmm. they are Siamese twins. <laughs> the two concepts are right next to each other. It's it's really fucked up. Well, that's what it is. Like to, to people like McVeigh, racism is secondary. It's a kind of foregone conclusion. It's mm-hmm. folded into their worldview, but it is isn't the whole point like it is with groups like the Ku Klux Klan. Sure. Like with people like he Timothy McVeigh, he's one of those, he's kind of one of those people that's like, oh yeah, black people are terrible, except for, you know, my friend Mike. He's right. one of the good ones. Because he's got a bunch of guns. <laughs> but he said he didn't join the Ku Klux Klan because he said they were bad for the youth. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> that is true. It's nice he's looking out for the youth. Well, this is how they caught kids like McVeigh. Ads for the novel always posed a simple question. What will you do if the government comes for your guns? Which is a fun question for a kid. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. <laughs> like, if you're a kid, like, that's that's the end. I totally get that. Yeah, and especially if you're a fucking nerd like Timothy McVeigh. Right. Uh, it's like, what? What will what will I do when the evil empire comes to take my lightsaber? Right. That's what he has in his head. That's that's the sort of connection that he's making is that his gun is his lightsaber and the American government is the evil empire. He's Luke Skywalker on Tatooine. He is. Not to be too cliche in 2017, but all of these guys, when you read the Turner Diaries and you hear him speaking about his beliefs, they all sound like those 300 pound neckbeard guys on YouTube that all have this been like. Yeah, well, if a zombie invasion, highly unlikely as it is, if it were to come about by some biological or some even form Santeria, uh, some form of Santeria, uh, <laughs> yeah. you got to get to high ground. And importantly, it's an I know, and me and my buddies know, me and Carl, who works at the Zip and Go, oh. we've both been talking about how we can get some machine guns from our other friend who works at the other Zip and Go <laughs> on 45. They're all just so full of shit. Yeah. They all just think they know how to handle everything. Yeah, and to all of these people, like... The paranoia of the government coming for your guns, that is a very real thing. Which is not happening. There's over 300 million guns in this country. Everyone's guns are totally safe. I promise you the government would, they understand what a horrible idea that would be to go after your guns. We'd yeah. be Waco on a mass level. I don't think they want to do that anytime soon. Yeah. Also, they have drones. So your guns Well, are that is do- true. They got drones. They're just gonna fuck it. They're gonna kill you with. Robots. You get a drone. You get a drone. You get a drone. Everyone gets a drone. I'm Gorilla- military Oprah. Yeah, you say like we got drones, but guerrilla warfare is uh, devastatingly hard to battle. All right. Hey man, I'm just saying I want mech warrior suits. I just want them to take the whole thing. Let robots just have the whole. I, I understand what your theory is. <laughs> well, in the Turner Diaries, Timothy McVeigh found a Bible. He found a guide, and over the years, Tim would become damn near evangelical about the Turner Diaries, and woe be to the person who asked any follow-up questions. Hmm. So at this point in Tim's life, he decided that the best investment a person could make was in a good, solid gun. And this was admittedly a little smarter than his first investment idea, which was comic books, which is just about the dumbest fucking investment a person could possibly make. You don't get a lot of money for you. You don't get a lot of return, huh? Don't get a lot of return return on that, no. Mm, I remember when my father made me line up early when Superman's Dead, that that comic came out Uh in the super limited edition, like black bag. My father's like, we got to get online because we got to get five or six of these things. This is what's going to help you pay for college. Uh-huh. And then we sat and waited and we bought five of them and I wasn't allowed to open them up. And then finally I looked at them when I was 17. I looked up the price guide and they were like $35. <laughs> Fuck. Not 30, 35. That's pretty good. $35. You know what those are worth now? 
35 cents. 35 cents, not bad. Yeah, you because you, that's the thing is that you and every other dumpy dumb shit went and bought five <laughs> copies. Well, you can just Fucking, see like. That's the, how the supply and demand works. It's rarity and demand. Rarity and demand. If every fucking piece of shit has five copies, then none of it's going to be worth anything. You can totally see the meeting in DC offices where they're just like, is anyone going to buy this dumb stuff? And they're like, there's a Zabrowski born every day. Yes. I think. Oh, this is for my future. <laughs> Got him again. Now, after collecting comics for years, McVeigh tried to sell the collection he had spent thousands of dollars mm. on, but the only person that was willing uh, to buy him was the guy that Tim had bought him from in the first place. And McVeigh only got $75 for the whole lot. That So that guy is smart. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the is- only smart guy so far in this story. I'll give you uh, 75 bucks for it. I paid $1,000 for all this stuff. Is that funny? Because it's like I got that thousand, and then I'm gonna give you seventy-five dollars for. That's smart business by me, right? God. You gotta admire that you're a friend of capitalism. I see your are those American flag under roofs. <laughs> Well, that 75 bucks, along with Tim's weekly Burger King paycheck, wasn't going to buy the guns that Tim wanted, so Tim quit and got a job as an armed security guard in Buffalo. Mm. And after a couple of years of that, Tim decided to join the Army. All right. Now, Tim joined the Army for two reasons. One, it was going to give him access to more guns and more free ammunition than he knew what to do with. That's a good reason. Two, Tim needed to feel like he was a part of something. Another totally reason. get that. Yeah. And that's a part of what the Turner Diaries, the way that ended up working well, it's kind of like the, the idea of recruiting people for gangs, recruiting people for a cult. It's this idea of that you now have a built-in group of friends, right. things to do every day, it's structure. And it's and it's very comforting, and it helps you, and it gives you purpose. The great irony is, you know, these individuals espouse personal responsibility and uh, being able to pick your up, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and being your own god, your own, uh, you know, uh, force in the, in the world. And all they're looking for is community, and they're also looking for excuses for their own failures. Yeah. Constantly. Yes. That's Ooh, the irony. Constantly. Yeah. And but, he would meet many they, people with that uh, yeah. attitude while he was in the Army. And then the army, but I think that that's a really healthy way to do that, right? Or it's a, it's a way to sort of get that, uh, that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to give you that camaraderie. And if you do like guns, it's a great place to legally get to murder people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is that uh, McVeigh actually said that if he had lived in a bigger city, he probably would have joined a street gang instead of going into the army. He just needed some place <laughs> to belong to. Can you that's imagine a roving pack of people with brush cuts? <laughs> just like, I don't even know what yeah, they they're wearing. called the Marines. Oh, that's yeah. right. Don't, and I'm not. I'm thank you for your Marines service. Thank you for all the Marines that are listening. We respect you. We love you very much. Please do not. No, I just imagine Brown looking around like looking for the white gang from West Side Story. Oh, uh, yeah. It's like, someone's got to let me swing a chain. All they want to do is swing a chain and have friends. Well, Timothy, you can't snap your fingers, so you're out of the gang. Oh. That's clapping. You're clapping. Tim, that's clapping. We need you to snap your fingers. Now, by all accounts, McVeigh was a fantastic soldier. One officer was actually quoted as saying he would be unbeatable with a hundred Timothy McVeighs at his command. 
It's like uh, what's that movie with the with the drones and they're all the same army and they all look the same. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Willy Wonka and the, <laughs> the Oompa Loompas. With but the- I would also say that 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 movie is technically about the sweetest form of slavery. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, there there is an undercurrent of Willy Wonka. We're not going to get into it. I would like your Willy Wonka is a bad country. person. Actually, a if we're white, if we're getting man get- with a top hat goes to another tiny little island country and he ships a bunch of people yeah. over to work in his factory. That's not really. If we really want to get into it, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was more indentured servitude than okay. it was slavery. Yes. Either way, so. Well, we just Either way, Willy Wonka is not a good man. No, he's not. Man. And he should be shamed. I mean, if I watch and I that want with... him to apologize. Publicly. I want them to take George Gene Wilder's bones out of his fucking grave, and I want you to move his jaw up and down saying, I'm sorry for cutting and allowing Willy yeah. Wonka to exist. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing is that McVeigh, he's doing great in the army, but he just wouldn't stop talking about the goddamn Turner Diaries. Oh. And in this incessant talking about this stupid fucking book, McVeigh found two people who were actually willing to listen, Michael Fortier and Terry Nichols. Two people that just didn't mind being spoken at. Well, they yes. already had the well, you know? they already had these beliefs when they got into the army. Specifically, Terry Nichols, uh, Michael Fortier uh, was a, he was a burnout. Like he was a mm. fucking meth head. He was a pothead. Uh, he had all these dumb shit views. Uh, and really, in the scheme, the larger scheme of things, uh, Fortier would be more instrumental in sending McVeigh to the death chamber mm. than he would be in the planning of the actual Oklahoma City bombing. But Terry Nichols mm-hmm. would be integral to the planning and execution of the Oklahoma City bombing. Can you imagine being the level of loser yeah. that you would look up to Timothy McVeigh? I know. I was that just you thinking. Would, you would be like, wow, I almost, this guy's got it going on. I almost think Terry Nichol, he's not worse than Timothy McVeigh, but I don't know. I have no respect for either of them, but I almost have less for Timothy, uh, for, for, for Terry Nichols. I really, he, I mean, how do you let, uh, first of all, McVeigh is much younger, correct? McVeigh is 10 years younger. And so uh, how do you let this kid convince you to do these things that obviously in the future we'll get to all that stuff? Yeah. Well, that's we already the, covered it, but yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the funny thing is that when they first met, um, yeah, McVeigh was 10 years younger than uh, Terry Nichols. Uh, and actually, like, McVeigh looked up to Nichols in the beginning, hmm. uh, but it got flipped and turned around. Think about this, too, is that these guys are probably, when they hear the term Turner Diaries, no one's, they don't know anybody else that's oh, yeah. been reading the Turner Diaries like they've been reading the Turner Diaries. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, I don't want to equate it, but people who find, like, other fans of last podcast on the left, <laughs> like, outside. Like, it's a club. Yeah, they're yeah. like, oh, it's- you like that? Disgusting thing? Mm-hmm. Me too. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, we have more than three listeners. <laughs> but yeah, it's a little it's a little club that they can all belong to, and no one else gets it, but they do. Exactly. Yeah. And Nichols was one of those guys who blamed everybody else for his failures and bad decisions, and right. he blamed nobody more than the U.S. government. Uh, oh, and it was also said uh, during his time in the Army that he looked like Woody Allen in uniform. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which would also be interesting because he goes on to marry a uh, underage Asian woman, <laughs> sort of like Woody Allen as well. Oh, like <laughs> Timothy McVeigh, Nichols also came from a broken home. For example, his mother, when confronted by a sheriff's deputy for throwing beer cans into a cornfield, uh, she came after the deputy with a chainsaw, but when she couldn't get it started because she was too drunk, she just threw it at him and ran away. Did you say broken home or like incredibly fun home? <laughs> fun that home. Is- 
Just talk about what great stock to come from. What wonderful DNA that should definitely be kept pure. Oh, you know, of like course. That's the best part. Know. Uncut. Do not let mm. any other race sully that wonderful DNA. No way. So when McVeigh and Nichols first met, what I, like I said, McVeigh actually looked up to Nichols as McVeigh had finally found another person who shared his beliefs and half-baked bullshit conspiracy theories. But eventually... The whole thing got flipped, and McVeigh controlled Terry's entire life, dragging him into a bomb plot that killed dozens. That's at least according to Terry Nichols. Taking no responsibility once again. Yeah, absolutely. But in 1989, Nichols left the Army under a hardship discharge and wouldn't reconnect with McVeigh again for another couple years. And in Nichols' absence, McVeigh's conspiracy beliefs and things like the United Nations coming to take over the United States only grew. And these conspiracy theories would only be bolstered when the first Gulf War broke out in 1991. So Terry Nichols just told his general that it's hard and no, like, oh, I, don't like no. I don't like it anymore. No. It's hard I got dust me. in my boot. Uh, no. I have dust in my boot. <laughs> I understand it's much different than the, that. No, a, a hardship. He, he has said that he had a, like a family emergency. Okay. He had like his uh, farm back in Michigan was falling apart or something. He had a family hardship, so he okay. was able to get a, a hardship discharge. I do. My get mom feel- was chasing a hog down a well, mm. and she got stuck in it hip deep, and oh. her legs are kicking around like it's a Looney Tune cartoon, and I have to go to Fulton County and get enough butter to grease the facade to get her out of the way. You know what? That is a hardship, Mr. Nichols. You're dismissed. Well, the 1991 Gulf War began when Iraq, under the direction of dictator Saddam Hussein, invaded the small but oil-rich country of Kuwait, who was an American ally. Mm. McVeigh was actually about to go into special forces training when war was declared, which put his training on hold until after the war was done. Now, when America went over to battle the Iraqis, they were told to expect the worst. The book Oklahoma City quoted one Vietnam veteran on the eve of battle who said, Take your worst nightmare, then quadruple it, then quadruple it again, and you still won't get to where you'll be this time tomorrow. Wait, hold on. Is this a common core math question? I am completely... Co- I quadruple the quadruple. Uh, but what do, what's the number two. I start let's with? Say, let's say your first experience, what you expect is a two. You're going to want to make that into two apples. Uh-huh. And then four times that is, that's two... Four sets of let me. I have to draw it. That's common core. You got to draw everything. Okay. Everything's done in apples. <laughs> U.S. soldiers were told to expect mines, barbed wire, artillery, uh, an anti-tank fire, nerve gas, and the dreaded Scud missile. Do you guys remember? I when remember the, when the, the Scud the Scud missile. I had. Do you guys remember fucking Desert Storm trading cards? I remember the oh, Desert. Yeah. Yes, and uh, if you got uh, who was it, General uh, Norman Schwarzkopf. Schwarzkopf. That was a big card to get. I had a short I believe it was an ace, if I, if I recall <laughs> yes. properly. Yeah. No, these were trading cards. Like, you actually got to... Well, like they you also, could buy these in supermarkets. Yeah, like, that's how weird and gung-ho the they, 1991 Gulf War was. They made poker cards as well with the, with the full mm-hmm. things, and then they, they also did that uh, in 2002. Yeah, the invasion yeah, of Iraqi yeah. uh, for for the invasion of Iraq part two. Well, the Gulf War was a little bit different uh, than really any other war that America's been in because everybody was kind of feeling guilty about how we had treated veterans coming back from Vietnam. Oh yeah, uh, and of course, like, and America wanted a good war. Uh, the, the way that we treated veterans after Vietnam was atrocious. I yeah. mean, these were the people who were drafted that weren't uh, able economically or for whatever reason to get out. Yeah, and everyone got gung ho about the Gulf yeah. War. Let's get in. Let's do it. Uh, 
this is also the beginning of uh, the cable news uh, glorifying war, showing the missiles dropping, getting a real big fucking boner as it's happening. We watched it in our, I believe it was a uh, just a, a civics class or something like that. We watched it live yeah. because the attack happened during the oh, day yeah. in America, but it was at night. Uh, so, of course, we had the, the classic green uh, imagery of all the missiles and all the explosions. Every- of course, we don't see what happens after the explosion occurs. We don't want to see that part. No. We just want Every to see the fireworks. Every night we watched it. It was yep. like the family got together and we sat and we watched the war. Yeah. It was kind of interesting. We're like, oh, well, I'm going to put the war on, even though the war lasted for like three or four days. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the thing is that we uh, thought that this was going to be a long, hard-fought battle, but it was one of America's easiest victories and most decisive victories. They call it the 100 Hours War. Yep. Uh, and in fact, McVeigh would kill more people with the Oklahoma City bombing than America would lose in all the fighting in the Gulf War. And even of those uh, Americans who died during the Gulf War, 35 of those Combat de- deaths came from friendly fire. Which I don't like the term friendly fire, by well, the way. I mean, it's still, there's nothing it. friendly about it. There's <laughs> nothing friendly about there's it. There's nothing, nothing friendly about it. But this was interesting. We didn't go in there to kick Saddam Hussein out. Of course, Saddam Hussein, a Sunni, a Muslim major, a minority, he was a great stabilizing uh, um, leader in that region, as a matter of fact, as we've seen now with him obviously out of power. Yeah. So this whole yeah, war George was Trump, this whole war was one of the quickest and most successful wars that the U.S. Yes. has fought. Was Bush Sr. realized that if you destroy that centralizing, that kind of weird stabilizing dictatorship in the middle of there, then it's going to create a forever war, yep. and you're going to be constantly fighting all these rogue people trying to take over the area, which is what we technically Dick Cheney wanted to happen, and what allowed 9/11 to happen. Yeah, well, what are we in year 15 now? 14? Uh, even more, I think. I think it's 16. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's why, of course, HW did not want Cheney or Rumsfeld or Ashcroft to be uh, with W. He actually told them uh, he told W not to go with them. But anyway, that's a whole other story for a different yeah. show. Well. You Actually, go and listen to 9-11 Part 2 for more on that. So for McVeigh's part in the war, he was a gunner on a Bradley fighting vehicle. And although the official name for his vehicle was Charlie 11, McVeigh renamed it Bad Company after the song Bad Company Mm. by Bad Company off of the album (laughs) Bad Company. That's good branding. It's great branding. (laughs) I love Bad Company for making everything Bad Company. Oh, yeah, Bad Company. It's like uh, there's this other great band, this band called Panther Man. Oh, was the song Panther Man by Panther Man. Off of the album Panther Man. Perfect. You won't ever forget it. Never forget. <laughs> Unless you just never, ever, ever think of Panther Man. Yeah. <laughs> I never heard of Panther Man before. <laughs> Panther Man's great. Uh, and speaking of bad company, McVeigh would play it over and over again on his Walkman over the vehicle's intercom system, uh, along with Queen and White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. Hey, uh, hey, Do you mean to tell me that McVeigh was just a DJ from Jack FM? <laughs> Hey, hey, Tim, uh, you know, we all love bad company uh, in the troop. We've been bad talking. company. Yeah. I know. But, I, can't deny. You know, I got this new Metallica song that we were really bad trying to. Company. Yeah, I know, but it's. Till the we were you, just, know this, you know, there's only four bands, right? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard it. I can't have this Metallica around here. This is some kind okay. of fake band. There's only four real bands it's okay. bad company, bad company side band, worst company. Uh-huh. <laughs> And, and White Rabbit. I don't even know the name of the band. I just know that one song. So we won't be hearing any other music other than Bad Company, correct? Bad okay. Company. Thank you so much for being with us, Tim. I know the chorus. So the prediction in Iraq was that the fighting was going to last seven or eight months with over a thousand American soldier deaths projected. But whether it was just bad recon or an outright lie about the ferocity of the Iraqis, the ground war only lasted 
four days before the Iraqis were completely overrun. Mm. The Iraqi army was so badly run and unprepared that a lot of the Iraqis didn't even know they were fighting Americans. They thought this was just an extension of the Iran-Iraq war. Yeah, I mean, they, they propped it up like uh, the Iraqi uh, the Iraqis had like the fifth largest army in the world, but that is a... T- it's probably true, but there's a big, massive drop-off from the first, second, third, fourth to the Iraqis. Yeah, it, they were just conscripts, most of these people. Basically. They weren't even in uniforms, and they were given, like, shitty uh, old, like, Russian AKs and that didn't mm. even fire. But maybe if they had enough heart, they would have been the bad news bears of armies oh, and yeah. could have fought us back. <laughs> but... Back in 1991, as soon as the Iraqis saw America coming over the hill, they either deserted or surrendered. Uh, But not every soldier accepted those surrenders, specifically Timothy McVeigh. Mm. Now, the story that McVeigh told and the official story the army told was that McVeigh's only kills were two Iraqi soldiers that were in a bunker about a thousand yards away from McVeigh's Bradley. Uh, And McVeigh actually got a medal. He got a uh, commendation uh, for uh, the kill. And apparently it was a badass kill. He was a thousand yards away. Uh, He popped a guy that had stuck his head up from a bunker. The guy's head vaporized and the explosion of the Bradley shell killed the guy next to him as well. I gotta say Timothy McVeigh did choose the right profession. They gave him a medal for this. (laughs) So he was like on the right track for his overall all desires. Yes, he was. He was a very, very good soldier. Uh, and But he said that after doing this, he got disillusioned with the army, the Gulf War, and the government uh, after killing what he thought to be innocents. Mm. He thought the Iraqis never stood a chance and were just being bullied by America. And it definitely was true that the Iraqis were slaughtered. A lot of them were buried alive in the sand by advancing tanks. Some of them were blown to pieces by American artillery. A lot of them were just straight up burned alive. I mean, the roads were lined with the corpses and body parts of Iraqi soldiers. Some of them were just being eaten by wild dogs. Brutal stuff. But McVeigh's assertion that he felt some sort of sympathy for the Iraqi people doesn't ring true if you believe what some of his fellow soldiers say. No, it sounded like he was a little bit of a psychopath instead and really liked to like the power he got of having a gun legally and being able to kill people legally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like he's the type of person that would murder 168 people. Yeah. Yeah, three guys. Larry Frame, Richard Cerny, and Todd Rieger. They were all a part of McVeigh's company, and they Bad all- Company! <laughs> so, you want us to nickname ourselves Bad Company? Bad Company! I literally only know those two That's sentences. all you have to know. Bad Company! <laughs> they all said that McVeigh shot soldiers as they were being taken prisoner, including four prisoners that were already in custody. Wow. In cold blood. Just so, bam, 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 bam. That is a war crime. That is a that is yeah. absolutely a war crime. And in fact, when they went, uh, when the author of uh, Oklahoma City, the authors of Oklahoma City, went to talk to uh, McVeigh's commander mm-hmm. and asked him about this, he refused to say anything, out of fear that he might be investigated for war crimes, perhaps court-martialed. Yeah. And even if that isn't true, even if McVeigh did not kill those prisoners, uh, and even if he only killed the two Iraqis on record, then that still means that McVeigh saw Social Security workers and their children as more deserving of death hmm. than a soldier pointing a gun at him. Well, I well, guess because could... it was a part of a revolution, Marcus. That's yeah. what you don't understand. Oh, yeah. Or uh-huh. William Pierce says, or the reason why he disavowed the Oklahoma City bombing after it happened. William Pierce said, oh, that was because uh, I I do not agree with the Oklahoma City bombing because uh, we were not in the revolution yet. 
Oh, that's brilliant. What, that was his that was his point. And the same thing with calling himself a neo-Nazi. He's like, we're not a neo-Nazi group. We've never been a neo-Nazi group. Which is like, yes, do I build, admire Hitler? Yes. Do mm -hmm. I feel that his writings have been really important to the society and that the Nazis were victims? Yes. But we don't just blindly copy people. Sounds we're independent thinkers. Sounds like you're a neo-Nazi. <laughs> That's where I'll put you in a concentration camp, fellow white man. That's a, well, it makes you definitely a neo-Nazi. No, you, you, no, no, no. I have plenty of other things. They're called concentration areas. Oh, very <laughs> okay, very good. You get the feeling uh, Timothy Timothy McVeigh understood the person who was aiming a gun at him. Yeah. So that's the only reason he had any sympathy for him whatsoever. He actually got that person's mentality. Yeah, he totally got that. And the idea that a soldier was uh, a soldier. Uh, it, from a country that America was technically at war with was better than a government worker, a government American worker, totally in line with his ideology. Crazy. Because McVeigh felt that the United States had been tricked into participating in the Gulf War by the United Nations at the behest of your classic international Jewish cabal. I see. Iraq I wasn't the enemy. I've never seen a cabal. <laughs> is, there, is cabal on Friday before Shabbos on Saturday? <laughs> Now, furthermore, when McVeigh returned from the Gulf War, he was immediately offered to return to Special Forces training, and he was exhausted. He was out of shape. He'd been in the desert for months, and he had the option to wait until he was back in shape, but he decided to go through with it anyway because he thought he was a badass and he thought that he could handle it. And, of course, he washed out after a couple of weeks, but now he had a whole other thing to blame on the globalist conspiracy. If mm. the Gulf War wouldn't have happened, the McVeigh would have become a Green Beret where he could have killed someone who, in his mind, actually deserved it. So I, it's difficult to wrap rational your rational mind around there this is, guy. Well, there yeah, is a logic. There is a, there it's is, a logic, but it's a strange one. There to say is the least. a logic to every single thing that Timothy McVeigh does. He yeah. is he is extremely. I mean, it's like we were talking about with Carl Panzerham. He he is deliberate. He has yeah. a logic. He has a train of thought. It's sick and it's fucked up, but it is there. Well, and that's why you mentioned in the last episode he, that he's not. That's why he's not crazy. No, he's not crazy yeah. at all. He also sought out validation. Yeah. He mm. sought it out. He looked for it and he got it from his his fucking whack pack group of idiot buddies in the army and then the the literature that he would start to get at gun shows. And he sent well, he went to basically create the confirmation bias around him that made all of these thinking feel normal. And like and this is where I kind of yeah. get like upset because I I like conspiracy theory. I think it's important to think creatively quote unquote using big swishy quote quotes about the government and about the world and about reality but and and but the problem is that like we have a, a lot of forces against conspiracy theory which is also sort of destroy the idea of investigative journalism of, of questioning things but the problem is that with conspiracy theories that you can go out and look for any information that you want to confirm that you that you are oh, yeah. right and the government and so the government loves conspiracy theories. Yeah. That's why they're able to operate and do everything in, in broad daylight in front of us. And we're just like, well, I know the truth. And it's like the truth is it's right in front of your eyes. Mm -hmm. Well, after Timothy McVeigh uh, washed out of Green Beret training, of course, fell into a very deep post-combat depression. He told his supply sergeant that the army had implanted a computer chip in his butt. Uh <laughs> <laughs> the but, worst but place Mc, for it. But McVeigh, he may have been speaking metaphorically here. And there's oh, also so. there's also some speculation that this is just something that he said to people to, to try to fuck with them and also to try to make them think that he was a little bit crazy. I could see him in Timothy McVeigh's mind that being a creative, funny joke. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I also, in the Turner Diaries, the main form of torture that the black police officers have against the revolutionaries is putting big, thick steel rods up their asses. Mm. And they scream and scream, but they don't break because they're true soldiers that have taken an oath to never tell anyone their information. No matter how many things they put inside their ass. Those big, strong black men, how they bend them over and just really forcing them. And they they almost act like they like it. They almost act like it's no matter how deep it goes. It's a bit of erotica in in the Turner Diaries? Put it deeper, please. I'm as much of a revolutionary. I can can handle how deep you put it. Please put it deeper, sir. It's like what Satan does. put one in my mouth while you're doing it up my butt so i'm like oh like i'm a chinese finger trap you it's like what satan does to uh saddam hussein or to hitler rather in little nicky yeah which by the way i like little nicky i'm gonna defend adam sandler on that movie oh come on i love it if he would have had a different voice it would have been a really funny movie but he did the wrong voice and he he fucked himself i still like it It and i have done that how many times in my <laughs> so McVeigh looking for anyone who might validate him at this point signed up for a trial membership with the Ku Klux Klan <laughs> saying he was impressed by a pamphlet of theirs he received at a gun show. Okay, this it's is what How impressed can you be by a pamphlet? <laughs> uh, but I'm just a trial membership. Trial, like it's a YMCA <laughs> or like a Gold's Gym. <laughs> like you can try it for a week and if you don't like it Full refund. You know <laughs> what the KKK big, is. This is big with the deep Nazi-like nerdyism that is in all of these white these white power groups. They're always like this because they want to see if you can handle it. Uh-huh. It's always this bullshit. It's all just like look how official we are. You have a trial period and you sign up and there's like a weird invitation. It's all that connected to the Masons and they all do the same shit. They all pretend to blow each other with skirts on. Trial memberships are meant for field and stream. And magazine and like Sports Illustrated. Yeah, you do it just to get the telephone that looks like a football, and then you cancel it out. How many times I signed up for credit cards just to get a free sandwich over at the Hungry Howie's? I did that four times. My credit when I got out of college was three forty-seven. Wow, not bad. But after uh, McVeigh's trial year with the KKK was over, McVeigh didn't renew because he said the KKK was more devoted to the cause of racism, and McVeigh was much more interested in uh, Second Second Amendment rights. He said the KKK was, quote, manipulative to young people. Oh, my I'm God. I'm just so glad somebody said it. Thank God. <laughs> and they are. He's actually right about this. No, he was actually, yeah. Now, of course, McVeigh wasn't making any new friends in the Army either. He was known as a vaguely racist oddball who kept guns all over his house, even in the bathroom, and he slept on a set of Garfield sheets that he got for free from a friend, although we cannot count that against Garfield. We will not allow that to stand against Garfield. He yeah. did not choose. He Jim Jim Davis did uh-huh. not send those sheets to Timothy McVeigh. I don't know, man. You know Timothy McVeigh loved Garfield, I and would, he loved no. the way Garfield treated normal. No, I and would. He say, thought no. that John was weak. Oh no, absolutely. No. I would say. I, bet, I, I guarantee you, McVeigh loved Heathcliff. He was no, he did an independent guy. No, guys doing like this, whatever he no, wanted. Guys like this love. Love the cornier version of everything. Mm-hmm. That's what they do. He looked at Garfield as one of the good ones. Of whatever it is, you <laughs> whatever want to Garfield say. at cartoon Be- cats. Well, at the very yeah. least, we one thing we do know is that McVeigh he was a cat man. Of he was a cat man. That's yeah, he was a, he was a cat guy. He always he always had cats. I couldn't dislike this guy more. Nothing wrong with cats, Nothing. but of course he's a cat man. And if you have a cat, <laughs> that's fine. I love cats. But, yeah, uh, but we all know there's something about a guy with a bunch of cats. A, a, a single man with cats. Yeah. <laughs> Although if you are a cat, and Tim, <laughs> Timothy McVeigh is your owner. Like that head, that's a perfect scratching post. <laughs> the, the brush cut is a perfect haircut for a cat to scratch. Absolutely, but God, it's got to be so hard just to find those pure white cats. Uh-huh. That's such a pain in the ass. 
Yes. Yeah. I don't know. If you like have a cat, like if you and your girlfriend had a cat together and you guys broke up and then you got the cat, I can see you being a cat guy. Oh, but like a guy sure. that goes out and gets like two or three cats like on his own, like a single guy with a bunch of cats. Nah. Unless you take care Sometimes of Sometimes when we're having fun, I let the cats still play with my chest and they act as if I'm mommy. And they'll just nurse on me. And it is just the most precious. Just, ow, 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 Saddam. I named my cat You named your cat Saddam. That's very good. Well, no, all animals need love. Yes. So since McVeigh hadn't found anyone else in the Army willing to share his horseshit views besides just Terry Nichols and Michael Fortier a few years earlier, Tim started attending gun shows more and more to find people who shared his worldview. The army was starting to become one hassle after another, like when he was charged for a urine stain on his mattress, even though McVeigh swore up and down that he definitely did not at any point wet the bed. I could oh, see definitely. I could see one of the fellow soldiers though, just being like, I got a funny joke to play on Tim. I'm gonna piss on his bed Let's a little piss bit. Piss on his bed. Uh, in the end, it wasn't any one big thing that led to McVeigh leaving the army. It was more like just a bunch of little things, you know? Mm, I understand. <laughs> it, it, it is always the little things, isn't it? All Timothy McVeigh said when he left was that he had things to do and he could not do them within the army. And then he put on his earbuds and bad company played <laughs> as he walked out the army. <laughs> and so in late 1991, McVeigh left a promising military career behind and moved back home to Pendleton, New York. Remember, this guy could have been a Green Beret. He was on track. He could have gone back to Special Forces training. Instead, he went back and worked the graveyard shift at the Buffalo Zoo as a security guard. That's the saddest shift. He's just sitting there. He's been like, none of these parrots like bad company. (laughs) I'm sitting here with my broom and it's like, am I the Jewish cabal of this zoo? Should I just free all of these parrots and and, and, and giraffes? Uh, None of them will listen to reason. At least they can't interbreed. So that's good. (laughs) That's nice. Uh, You know, that has got to be the saddest zoo. Yeah, the, the Buffalo, Buffalo Zoo. Zoo. Yes. <laughs> There's like no one there. Yes. Oh, That's where Buffalo they get the chickens Zoo. for the chicken wings. They're oh, all I see. There. That's how they cull the herd. Well, the terrible tragedy of this whole thing, and, th- and this is serious here. Th- this is the terrible tragedy, is that when McVeigh returned to Pendleton, he actually reached out for psychiatric help to deal with his PTSD. Mm. But he was too ashamed to give his name to the local VA because he thought it would hurt his chances at, like, jobs, at, like, future jobs, that some that his employers would check up on him and would see that he had gotten psychiatric help in the past, and that's sad as fuck. I mean, had McVeigh actually gotten help, had he not been too ashamed to give his name, or had the VA allowed him to get help anonymously, then it is possible that Timothy McVeigh would never have become what he eventually became. It didn't seem like he was really going for jobs that would care if he had mild PTSDs working the night shift at a zoo. Well, no, I I, I really do think, like... That's how we treat our veterans, though. That's really... It's it's fucked up how that happens. That is true. Yeah, Yeah, McVeigh, he made a a sincere attempt, but because he was ashamed, uh, he, he did not seek help and it led to Oklahoma City. And as we always say on the show, if you want to seek help, seek help because Please. there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. It's 100% normal and the world will thank you for it. Yes, absolutely. We're all sick. Everyone is sick. Every one of us is sick. Yeah. It's not shameful <laughs> to be sick. Yeah, and you're among sick you're among sick people here at last podcast on I'm not, the last. I'm not so. sick. All right. Good. Right. So good. And that's how you can tell someone not healthy about I, for, I forgot, Ben, that you are 100% mentally stable. There it is. Sustained. Crushed it, Marcus. I just handed Marcus 20 bucks. <laughs> 
So instead of getting help, McVeigh started writing letters to the editor. I do love this. <laughs> letters, to, letters to the editor is my favorite practice for people who just have to scream about yeah. the government or whatever it is. Well, one letter to the editor published in a local newspaper on February 11th, 1992 read, in part, America is in serious decline. We have no proverbial tea to dump. Should we instead sink a ship filled with Japanese imports? Is a civil war imminent? Do we have to shed blood to reform the current system? Can we get another spinoff to Cheers? I hope it doesn't come to that, but it might. And the funny thing is, those super intense letters to the editor, there's the one right next to it is like, the pothole on 34th Street still has not been filled. I've been... Uh, my... The lack of respect that all Congress County gets is something I am just beside myself. We need a stop sign at 6th and Maple. The federal government must be taken down. <laughs> Honestly, the Jewish cabal won't put a water fountain in at the YMCA. <laughs> See, actually, McVeigh, he was starting to get deeper into the wackier side of conspiracy thought. One conspiracy that he 100% believed and subscribed to said that the government was building huge crematoriums along with 130 concentration camps around the country to round up and exterminate citizens with anti-government views. And this was in 1991. The government... You, you may know this conspiracy theory by its modern name, FEMA death camps. The government cannot make a bridge. The government can't <laughs> function. The government cannot, does not have the ability to do any of these things that conspiracy theorists think they can. Number one, show me proof that they're not. Okay. They're, they're not because they're not. there's show no proof. Because there's no proof. Show me proof. You can't prove. This is what they do. You have to prove a negative. You can't. Tell me. Show me proof. Show me proof that they're not doing it. The then, I'll, then I'll say, okay, sure. The sure maybe they're not. The, 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 the only way to prove that is to give you a picture of every square inch of the entire fucking country, you idiot. Show me proof. <laughs> they are not. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. I'm on Google Maps. I'm looking at the street views, uh, and they block some of it off because they say it's secret and classified. But uh, also, you know, I think that the black ops government could really do it. But what's interesting about the black ops part of the government is that that's not federal. That's private. So, yes, private people are doing a lot of different shit. All those kind well, of contractors, they're doing a lot of fucked up shit and are very capable, but they're doing stuff that we don't know about. Not, they're not setting no, up concentration camps, I will you say, fucking moron. I will say that no, they are not setting up concentration camps. But that the, the sad thing about that conspiracy theory, in reality, the prison industrial complex, there are black sites in Chicago. Yeah. We know that for a fact. We know that the prison industrial complex is uh, holding people, uh, and it is indentured. It is the, the new slavery. So that's the real stuff that but people I will should put be it talking about. Like, this is a this is a part of the how the government can get away with this shit is that you outsource it. You outsource the crooked shit into your black budget stuff, and so they, it does. It's all private. It's all privatized, so yeah, you don't have to have true. government oversight. But that's crooked shit. You know, those yeah. are people. They are looking to make money. These there are no crematoriums. Around. I know there's no. And crematoriums. you know, but these I know people, that like not. this is crooked shit. This is them making money. This is them making a couple extra bucks for their shareholders. All these fucking black sites. That's what that is. It is not the NWO coming to take over the fucking country. Razor I mean, Ramon. You know, I'll tell you what, you know who the fucking NWO is going to look like? Two broke girls. That's <laughs> oh. what you're going to look at. That's where the NWO is. Well, because the, the amount of people that watch like Big Bang Theory, I think that there is some sort of hypnotic branding that is happening inside of Bazinga. If someone could look <laughs> uh -huh. at the word Bazinga and see if there's any sort of like ancient, like Sumerian connection to that word, see what they're doing. I mm. won't even say that word. <laughs> I am, yeah, I, I still, I can only think about pro wrestling when I hear NWO. 
you all, but I, just, I know. Okay. Me, me too. But the point is, that, like, these conspiracy theories about, like, FEMA death camps and concentration camps and yeah. mass crematoriums, this shit has existed for decades. Oh, totally. It just takes different forms. Right. And belief in these ridiculous theories and the spreading of these ridiculous theories, it only breeds paranoia. And sometimes paranoia can turn deadly, mm-hmm. like it did with Timothy McVeigh. Mm. And then... Ruby Ridge happened, which, to McVeigh's conspiracy-riddled mind, proved that the government was, in fact, coming to take away not only his guns, but every gun in America, slowly but surely. And McVeigh was not alone in getting riled up by the deaths of Vicky and Sammy Weaver. It rallied survivalists and militia groups all over the country. Yep. And while I do agree that the FBI straight up murdered Vicky Weaver... They absolutely did. It was not the first strike of the NWO coming to take us over. It was the incompetence of people in charge of the raid and the incompetence of the sniper who took the shot. I believe the sniper that took the shot was new. I think it was his first day Mm -hmm. or one of his first missions, and that's correct. It was an accident, and the whole thing went wrong. And you know what's really sad is that it also killed the ABC pilot sniper's first day oh, because they man. said that the, just the, the blowback from that would be too much for them to air it. What about Barb? <laughs> what about what Barb? <laughs> but McVeigh and his friends, they didn't see it as incompetence. They saw it as the NWO coming. Right. And McVeigh, he was so hardcore that he canceled his membership to the NRA because he thought they were a, quote, weak warrior, as he put oh, it, in this- the fight to save the Second Amendment. Yeah. They certainly were no wharf. Yeah. I'll tell you that. <laughs> a true a, warrior. A determined <laughs> warrior. I've heard that. And he also wouldn't shut up about all this bullshit to his coworkers at the zoo. Wow. Now, what? I don't know if there was any actual human co-workers. I think it might be like a little mouse that hang, uh, hung out. I'm just yelling at flamingos. Yeah. Just a random alligator. Get flamingos. Get some, get some blue on there. That's what I say. Flamingos, why? You're just red and white? Get some blue on there. Now, my other, my other biggest, honestly, one of my biggest sticking points with the Turner Diaries as well, their obsession with the metric system. Oh, like Lincoln Chafee. They talk about how the English system of measurement is so faulty, like five or six times throughout the entire thing. And it's just like, go, I understand. I understand that you the know, metric system works on tens. It's an easier system. But go fuck yourself. That is really <laughs> interesting. I, I did not realize that they were obsessed with the metric sh- uh, system. Of course, Lincoln Shapey, he was the Democrat in 2016. Mm-hmm. That was his thing. And it was also one of Ronald Reagan's ideas. Yeah. He wanted to do the metric system. And then everyone's just like, shut up, shut up. Well, at the zoo, one coworker, he was so freaked out by Timothy McVeigh's rants that he started bringing a tape recorder to work just in case McVeigh made specific threats. The strange thing is now Timothy McVeigh would just be like Alex Jones. He could just be a successful uh, internet radio host. Yeah. We should be thankful that Alex Jones has that job. We should be fa- thankful that he's allowed know. to express himself in a constructive way instead of just fucking Oh, that's a good, him. yeah, who knows no. what, uh, well, who knows what he's going to inspire, but yes. No, what Alex Jones is, is he, Alex Jones is those crazy motherfuckers at the gun shows in the early 90s, they now have a voice. Yeah. Like that sort of conspiracy, that paranoia, that same paranoia that sent Timothy McVeigh on the path that he's on right now, that same paranoia that Alex Jones and all of his little fucking buddies are stirring up, it's the exact same fucking path. Yeah. It's not, I would not, I'm not going to put like 
fucking frog memes on the same level as neo-Nazis or anything like that. I'm not going to put Pepe the frog up there. But Pepe was funny in the beginning. Pepe was Me funny in the beginning. Me and used to send Pepe memes to each other, and we had a good laugh about well, it. Creator, but I will not like support the, Keck and his and his terms of chaos. Ab- absolutely not. But, like, the whole Pepe thing and, like, these fuckers on the internet, like, it's definitely not the same as, like, neo-Nazis robbing banks in the 80s and 90s. Of right. course not. Uh, but this paranoia and this conspiracy thought and this just, like, general distrust of the world around you, mm-hmm. uh, it leads to dangerous shit. It does. And we're not saying that people can't talk about it. We're not saying people can't believe in it. Uh, we're just saying be mindful yeah, that be you mindful. don't get universe, taken down that same fucking road. Yeah. The universe is trying to show us as much as possible that when we separate the human race, when we try to separate shit and segregate shit, it's bad for us. It's, it kills people. We have to come. Everything is trying to say we are all one entity. That the universe is conscious. Is the this, Earth is are an you entity. Even a we are the world. Speech. <laughs> I'm just saying that is we this? are an extension of the consciousness of the universe. And everybody wants to deny that because the because they want power, because they want influence, and these it's it's yeah. fucked up. It's I, like. We went in on uh, the last Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, or the one previous. We went in uh, some more detail with Alex Jones. So check out that episode because it is an interesting phenomenon, and uh, we do have to be very mindful not to get to the McVeigh level. It's all a part of it, man. So in 1992, McVeigh's buddy Terry Nichols showed up in Pendleton, New York, with a brand-new mail-order bride in tow. (laughs) See, Terry had just returned from the Philippines where he got hitched to a teenager named Mara Faye. Tell me, tell me, can I say please? I don't like the song by company. Oh my <laughs> God! Can, can please tell I love dairy. I like being out. I I I love I love buffalo. I love the hot the hot sauce. Remind me of the Philippines. But <laughs> please, no more, no more white rabbit. <laughs> I, he does not even know the name of the band. Terry, I love you, man, but you gotta get rid of her. She doesn't <laughs> like bad company. Well, McVeigh, he admired the whole mail order move, as he felt American women were quote. Prudish and stingy. I can't believe they weren't charmed by his brush cut and overall rough demeanor. Well, his whole tactic, he was one of those guys that, like, he'd talk, he'd go up to a woman and say, like, hey, so we could spend, like, three hours, like, talking and waste a bunch of money on drinks, or we could just cut to the chase and go back to my place right now. So let me just get this straight. You're you're just broke, right? Right now. Yes, you're broke. (laughs) You can't buy me. (laughs) We can go right now. Yeah, I'm just going to not. You can wait. You don't even have to wait. Even in Buffalo, I won't have sex with you. And there was like no other men here. I won't even have sex with you when it's Buffalo. That didn't work. Of course not. <laughs> it absolutely. Well, we have here from the Turner Diaries. What I love is this. So in the middle of the Turner Diaries, it has a sexual relationship between two members and between Earl Turner and one of the female members of the uh, of the the order, his like branch, his unit of the order. And this is a little excerpt from that. So you can experience what it's like oh. to be speaking, being spoke to by one of these men. The shower is a makeshift cold water only arrangement which Henry and I installed in a large closet last week. Very sad that the guy, there's a man named Henry. Okay, oh, okay. <laughs> interesting. Keep going. We did the plumbing and put in a light, and Catherine covered the walls and floor with a self adhesive vinyl for waterproofing. The closet opens off the room which George, Henry, and I use for sleeping. Of the other two rooms over the shop, Catherine uses the smaller one for a bedroom, and the other is a common room which also serves as a kitchen and eating area. I undressed, got a towel, and opened the door to the shower. And there was Catherine, wet, naked, and lovely, standing under the bare light bulb and drying herself. She looked at me without surprise and said nothing. I stood there for a moment and then, instead of apologizing and closing the door again, I impulsively held up my arms to Catherine. Hesitantly, she stepped toward me. 
Nature took her course. We lay in bed for a long while afterwards and talked. It was the first time I've really talked to Catherine alone. She's an affectionate, sensitive, and very feminine girl beneath the cool professorial exterior she was always maintained in her work for the organization. Catherine had always been apolitical. If anyone had asked her during the time she was working for the government or before that, when she was a college student, she would probably would have said she was a quote-unquote liberal. But she was liberal only in the mindless, automatic way that most people are. Without really thinking about it or trying to analyze it, she superficially accepted the unnatural ideology peddled by the mass media and the government. She had none of the bigotry, none of the guilt and self-hatred that it takes to make a really committed, full-time liberal. After the police released them, George gave her some books on race and history and some organization publications to read, and for the first time in her life, she began thinking seriously about the important racial, social, and political issues at the root of this day's problems. She learned the truth about the system's equality hoax. She gained an understanding of the unique historical role of the Jews as the ferment of decomposition of races and civilizations. Most important, she began acquiring a sense of racial identity, overcoming a lifetime of brainwashing aimed at reducing her to an isolated human atom in a cosmopolitan chaos. Oh my, that sounds like a penthouse forum written by Ted Nugent's number one fan. <laughs> like yes. that is, that was supposed to be erotic and then somehow <laughs> they still got racial politics into it. <laughs> Good lord. So pretty soon after Terry Nichols and Mara Fay ended their visit, McVeigh got into gambling. Unfortunately, McVeigh was the type of guy to bet on his favorite team, which you should never do. Never do it. You never, you yep. never bet on your team. Uh-uh. Double, unfortunately. Uh-huh. McVeigh, being from upstate New York, was a Buffalo Bills fan. Oh, loser. <laughs> I mean, Triple, te- they, did, they, they did Triple, win a lot. They Triple, won- unfortunately, uh-huh. McVeigh was a Buffalo Bills fan in the early 90s. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, the Buffalo Bills went to four consecutive Super Bowls from 1990 to 1993. Yeah. And lost. You just get the feeling four times. You get the feeling Timothy McVeigh, but like the last Super Bowl they lost, he was like, it was mathematically implausible. How did (laughs) they lose? Jewish cabal did this. Got a Jewish cabal in the Super Bowl. Oh my god! In the Super Bowl that McVeigh lost a thousand dollars on was the biggest loss of all. Super Bowl twenty-seven, when the Dallas Cowboys destroyed the Buffalo Bills fifty-two to seventeen. God, I loved that game. Anybody's game. It was anybody's <laughs> game until Anybody, the very end. Yeah. I think they lost the to the first, Giants the and the Redskins also. <laughs> they the lost to the Cowboys minutes, twice. Anybody's game. Yeah, I think it was the Giants, the Redskins, and the Cowboys twice. <laughs> oh, Buffalo. Uh, and this is funny. Coincidentally, the uh, coin toss for Super Bowl twenty seven. Uh-huh. OJ Simpson. Really? OJ Simpson did the coin toss for Super Bowl 27, and it was Timothy oh. McVay. Hey, you know hey, 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 referee, I got a funny joke. It's kind of foreshadowing the future. I bet you um, it's going to be heads, like two heads. <laughs> You're funny, OJ. OJ's funny. And do you think that Timothy McVay and OJ somewhere, like OJ sat in his hotel room like late at night after the game, and Timothy McVay's out there just like having a smoke out by, behind his shack, wherever the fuck he lives, with his dumb fuck life, and he just was like, Somewhere <laughs> out there beneath the great big sky. Uh, it's like he's got like his, because you know he thought OJ was one of the good ones. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, yeah. Well, he was, of course, the, one of the world's, probably other than Jim Kelly, the most famous Buffalo Bill and possibly even more famous uh, than Kelly himself. Easily. Yeah. So after the Super Bowl loss, McVeigh decided it was time to leave New York State behind. Uh. He said... Taxes are too high. Oh, that was his issue. <laughs> it is. It's, it is. And, okay. the, and you know what? 
They are. They are too high. Ta- ta- taxes are, are are pretty damn high here in New York, and especially here in New York City. The crazy too thing is, high. if you just had a passing conversation with Timothy McVeigh, it would be like, yeah, he he mentioned the tax, uh, the taxes, and like Second Amendment, be like, okay, Tim, not not bad. And cool. then that, if you if you end it there, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Timothy McVeigh is just one of those guys you don't ask follow up. No, 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 to. never. Yeah. Very similar to uh, Leonard Lake. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Timothy McVeigh headed out west, where he would meet his ultimate fate. And the people who possibly helped him get there, which we will cover on episode three. All right. Well, that was a little insight into the life of Timothy McVeigh. My goodness, what a colossal loser. At least, uh, you know, you think after all this, you could ch- we could all change his nickname to Regretty Spaghetti. <laughs> Instead of Noodle McVeigh. That's Uh-oh. true. Regretty Spaghetti. Rege- Regretty <laughs> Spaghetti McVeigh. Um, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Let's see. What do we got to talk about here, Marcus? We got the Patreon. Thanks so much for everyone who's donated. Uh, that's why we can do everything that we're doing. We got a bunch of fun live shows coming up. We can't wait to see everyone at the uh, at those. Absolutely. And if you give to our uh, Patreon, then uh, you get pre-sale tickets uh, to all of our upcoming shows. And in fact, we just announced a whole new set of live Ooh. shows. We're going to be coming to Nashville. We're coming to Omaha. We're coming to North Carolina. Uh, we're coming to a ton of different uh, cities. Mm-hmm. So just go to cavecomedyradio.com slash live uh, to find out if we're coming to a city near you. And of course, we're uh, tickets are uh, on sale there for our upcoming Milwaukee show in July as well. That's and right. of course, someone's got to we're coming to Montreal. Yeah, yes, please. We need to sell tickets to these Just for Laughs so we can show these corporate overlords that we can rip up in the house. So yes. if you're in Montreal, if you want to see some beautiful half-French people, come and watch us at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. Yeah, that would be a huge help for us. Please come on out to Montreal. We'll have a great time, as always, and I uh, can't wait to see everybody. Honestly, and you're going to see us do a very unique set there where we get to talk to the pedophile-run Hollywood elites that are there face-to-face. Yeah. We get to speak to them and ask questions and interrogate them about their whereabouts during Elijah Wood's childhood. <laughs> Interesting. Well, you know, it's it, there's no way it could go wrong. No way at all. <laughs> no uh, way. Thanks for supporting no all the shows here on CCR. Abe Lincoln's Top F for everything political. Thanks so much for listening to that. Uh, Roundtable of Gentlemen, Page 7, Sex and the Human Activities, Movie Signs with the Mads, uh, Wizard and the Bruiser, all the great shows here on CCR. Thanks so much for listening. Um, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Henry Loves You, at Marcus Parks, at Ben Kissel. Follow us on Instagram at Dr. Fantasty, at Marcus Parks, at Ben Kissel, the number one. Yep. And then follow us on LP on the left and all the stuff that is slowly but surely hypnotizing us into the grave at LP on the left. <laughs> That's right. I want to thank everyone who I saw at the gay, uh, gay Pride Parade uh, Festival in New York City. It was awesome to run into fans just randomly on the street. I was doing some flyering for the BK for BK campaign. Uh, so thank Thank you guys so much for just being incredible. And every time uh, we get to see you in real life, it's just like it's, uh, it's always a joyous, wonderful occasion because only people that know us, uh, only people that like us know us. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, love I also, at the gay, oh, it's so nice to look at footage of the gay pride parade while I'm reading all this white pride material because oh. it's nice to have like eyeball bleach as I watch. I'm like, okay, good. They're still, so at least these people are normal yeah. and not these fucking white pride bullshit butts. Oh, absolutely. Oh, gay pride is, I love gay pride. It's a, it's a great holiday. Normal and Having fun, man. That's right. Having fun. Just enjoying themselves. Just enjoy yourself. Fucking d- tight mouth like little bitches. All these <laughs> yeah, little you're, allowed to have, you're allowed to have fun. That's for sure. Um, um, hail yourselves, also, everyone. Also, hey, 
big thing. Don't even look for the Turner Diaries. You're gonna be upset. Like in order to find the PDF for the the, the white the, for the for the fucking Turner Diaries, you're gonna go through some websites that are gonna really make you mad. Just the banners are gonna make you mad. Yeah. So yeah. that's a warning for yourself. It doesn't seem quality enough to read. So it is it not. Doesn't matter. It is. Um, hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. Hail Gene. And me. And a Magustalations. Why not? Magustalations. Magustalations. Celebrate yourself. Celebrate yourself. Mm. All right, we got some shout outs. Yeah. Yeah, we fucking do. All now right. you can hear your names. <laughs> Thank right. you for your money. Yeah. Thank and you for supporting the show, everybody. We really appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. Absolutely. And remember, like, we've got a lot of shout outs to get to. So if you don't uh, hear your name this week, just keep listening and eventually we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I promise you, you at some point. You'll never hear it unless you listen. I, so you have to listen yeah. to the very end of the episode. You can't skip. You got to listen to the very end every single minute. Or, you know, just skip right to the end. Um, yes, that's right. And I promise you, I will butcher your names at some point. Do not worry about it. Yeah. Um, okay, so here we go. Uh, let's start off with Kelly Kitchell. Thank you so much, Kelly Kitchell. Jen Haynes, Alex Cribb, Catherine Drozdick. Draws was a great professional wrestler. Broke his neck. Really? Oh, yes. I remember he's Draws. In, he is in a wheelchair. He used to be able to vomit on command. Yeah. Uh, and I believe that's his awesome. name was... Anybody can vomit on command. That's not a skill. That's no, called bulimia. No, no. Well, no, he, he didn't have to eat. Yeah. No, he didn't have to eat. No, he literally could just vomit. Yeah. I see Anybody can just vomit. No, no, no. no. Henry, you're no, not no, understanding. You can just vomit. Vomit right now. Vomit. Watch me. Vomit. Do it. No, no, you, no, no, no you can't cheating. use the finger. You can't use the finger. You have to just that go back. Anyway, so Draws, great <laughs> professional wrestler. I hope he's doing okay, and maybe he's a listener. Daniel Anitz, Leah Sedigan, or Sedigen, uh, Kate Owsley, or Owsley, Sands Dixon, Jamie Silva, Zach Wheeland, Ariel Sargent, The Fatherhood 2.0 Podcast. I think that's about fatherhood. That is great. Haley I Brown. So. I it's not about the fatherland. No, that's <laughs> true. Really going Haley, to get into trouble for that shout-out. Haley Brown, Christopher Windsor, Emily, Rowan Oliver Heeg, Jesse Bennett, a bald and angry. No reason to be angry. Women love someone who's bald. Um, Joel and Harding, Austin Averick. Ooh, that's cool. AA, Austin Averick. Uh, Tabatha Keegan, uh, Tabitha, not Tabatha. Tabatha's not a name. Uh, Tabitha Keegan, uh, Katie Ansay, Matt Dillon. We loved you in Wild Things. Oh, you're also great in Cry Baby. I like. I don't know if Matt Dillon was my favorite part about Wild Things. I just only remember breasts. Yeah, that pool scene. That really burned through a VHS tape. Didn't was he in Cry? He wasn't in Cry Baby. What was the one that he was in? Mm, I'm Ooh, not sure. That was it. Yeah, Matt Dillon. Because that was Johnny Depp in Cry Baby. Yes, he right? was. Yeah. Yeah. Caitlin Best, yeah. Jordan Prince. Joe Zupke, Kim Morrison, Tucker Rouch, uh, Jemima. Oh, here we go. I'm gonna mess this one up. Uh, Jemima Choconet Pizer. That's C H O Q U E N O T P I Z E R. Is it Choconet? Maybe Chocono. 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 I don't know. Either way, it Jemima you're not doing it right. I, I know you're not doing it right. I, I, know, I understand that I'm not doing that right. Jemima Chocono Pizer and Sid Williams. Thank you so much. I got Chris McCann, Ben Vossler, Aaron Webb, Angus Beaton, Matthew Bleasby, Giovanni Calamano. Ooh. Oh. That sounds like out of, uh, what was the name of that uh, television show I love so much? The Sopranos? No. Roma? No. What else? My So-Called Life. Uh, Joey Catalano. Oh, yeah. Uh, or Jamie Sim Catalano. Very different name. I don't know. Yeah, Scarlett Carson, Lindsay Daniels, Dana Dukabon, Austin Taylor, 
Uh, I think it's cut off here. It might be cutty beige or maybe smutty beige. Smutty beige. I'm not sure. Mm. Jason Zygmunt, Kim Shea, Alexander Kim, O'Donna Cheney, Andreas Armstrom, Sarah Johnson, Meredith Richardson, Lauren Milici, Shayna Nicole Rains, Nick Snow, David Taub, Mia Houston, or maybe Huston. Oh. Patrick Swayze. <laughs> really? It's a, it's a, it's pre, it's spelled different though. It's W S A S E Y. I wish oh. they would remake Roadhouse. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, no, it wouldn't. Don't wish for that because it'll be bad. I got Pony Boy Kawakla, Amber Robbins, Gwendolyn Wind, mm. Joshua Cornaglia. Okay. And now Henry, John Perry, mm-hmm. Tracy Vatsanagat, Maggie Mursky. Melissa Cole, Shular, Brandon Peterson, Brendan Weimer, John Campbell Jr., Scalem, S S C A L E E M, Escalim, Scleem, Jessica Todd, Kyra Carragas, Jordan Alexander, Lee Bryant, Faith Trowell, Alexa Harper, Taryn Feldman, Melissa Flint, Aaron Millis, Jeremy Foltz, Andrew B. Smith, Alyssa Guinness, Sharing needles with friends, label and podcasts. <laughs> oh yeah, sharing God, needles with good. friends. They're, they're a music podcast. I still need to. They asked me to be a guest, and I have not gotten back to them about it yet. But sharing needles with friends, I'm going to be a guest on oh. at some point. I hope. Wow, interesting. Mark S. Whitkin, Rafael Figueroa, James Quirk, Megan McKee, Tyler Dean Quillen, Stephanie Mo. Stevie Mo, she's a vegetarian. Stevie Mo, Stevie Mo. Candace Hensley, Katie Nian, Krista, Mallory O'Neill, Jose Mallory O'Neill, Rob Brown, Corey Austin, Melissa Bratcher, Tabitha Hunt. I think I know Tabitha. Oh. Okay. Hi. Jessica Thornton, Shannon Mormon, and then Horse Draper, Jessica Creamer, Adam Lauterbach, Corey Schoff, Mary Jones, Brian Merg, Bernie Ike, Mike Suzuki, Aaron Smith, Nat Grisak, Gina. Rachel Moninger, Colin Murray, Alyssa Repsick, Aaron Sweeney, Logan McNevin, Jared Miller, Ashley Pfeiffer, Ooh. Christine Zupa. That's it for me for now. All right. I got Macy Dance or Denise or Danice. Either way, it's Macy Denice. Sophia Baker, Blake Johnson, Pascal DeBras, Elizabeth Moglin, Monica Sanchez, Josh Morrison, Morgan Whaley, Krista Sigorski, Nick Garbato, Megan Agular, uh, or Aguilar. Aguilar. Agular. Very good. Ag- Aguilar. I, I knew some Aguilars in high school. Okay. Christina Aguilar. Ooh, no, I that's like Aguilera. Ooh, I like her. <laughs> Megan Aguilar. Uh, Stacey Anthony, Alex Getton, Z Davis, Drew Price, Kyle Malley, Alex Tradini, Sarah Benham, Stephanie Maz, Christian Edstrom, Kara Toledo, Nicole D. Hale, Francesca Valdez, Ashley K. Francesca Valdez. Francesca. Francesca Valdez. What did I say? <laughs> Francesca? Francesca. Like a Francesca. Francesca. Francesca, yes. Valdez. Yes. All right, Francesca. That's a fun one. Ashley K. Paul Kikajian. Kikajian. Kikajian? Kikajian. Paul Kikajian. Hannah Whelan. Sergio. Devin Garrett. Matt Sessions and Jordan Bremer. Thank you all so much. We really appreciate it. Hail yourselves. I got Sarah Saturday. Oh. 
Angela oh. Jones, Greg Allison, Dallas Moriarty. Cool. The Sticky Sounds Zine. <laughs> sticky Sounds, it sounds like bad company uh. to me. <laughs> Alex Reinhardt, Eli Sims, Cody Carpenter, Connor Dozois, or Dozius, one of the two, Nick Bell, Kelly Huckle- Huckleby, Tiffany Allen, Morgan Fannin, Eric Darnell, Chris Hornung, I Just Want to Believe podcast. Oh, okay. Sure. Derek Hasha, Ali Jacobs, Megan Nisbet, Scrotes Mahone. <laughs> <laughs> Do, haven't we done Scrotes Mahone before? I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. I like oh. Scrotes Mahone. Uh, sure. We'll do it again. Thank you, Scrotes Mahone. Sounds like a character from Police Academy. <laughs> sure, he had a great time getting a job. <laughs> Danielle Keeley, Jenna Rocket, Ruin Sama, Ann Jensen, Mitch Tompkins, Cheryl Fitzgerald, Greg Jorgensen, James Id, Sarah Court, and Daniel Spink. Katie Hassenbach, Diane Curtis, Dustin Beaver, Kelly Nerger, Michael Petralia, Kyle Mannion, Lindsay Nash, Ooh. Cheryl Ainsley, Chrissy Rickert, Sarah Moglia, Hannah Hausner, Brandon Merritt, Samantha Wilamowski, Sarah Fanjoy, Caroline Bleak, Michael Arnott, Emily Dennison, Hilly, Hillbilly Nerd 99, <laughs> Catherine Stabile, who's an Atlanta girl. Hey, what's up? Hello. Eradicate. Clary Ads, Megan Lynn, Jennifer Tarakamo, Liz, Jonathan Roan, Sean Rittner, Madison Daly, James Doyle, Josh Barnes, Zach Gearhart, Sarah Berlinger, Alex Barata. I love a nice burrata. We get we we have went to this restaurant and it's a bit like a charred like peaches with burrata on there, and you What's get some burrata? like it was a bunch of olives in it, so you got that tang, and you get a vinaigrette on it, so it's mmm. Okay. I don't know what a burrata is. <laughs> it's a soft baby cheese. Uh, happy you ended that sentence with cheese. <laughs> yep. I watched a bunch of videos of baby octopus. The only thing I could think about was eating them. So it's sad. <laughs> David Phillips, Sarah Thompson, Jay Powell, Michael McNally, Jason Degenstein, Kara Halen, Andrea Brady, Jack Latin Carlisle, Caster, Jack Lee, Stacy Shugel, Nandita Kamoff. Sara Aush, Sky, Sebastian Ho, Teresa Holter, Demiel Herringer. What's going, girl? Brian Hampton, Domino Phillips, Leah Apple, Vaccine, Space Monkey, James Franklin Pace, Elodie Westover, and Sarah Sturm. All right. Thank you all so very much for making this entire show possible. Yes. Thank you very much, everybody. We appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you very much. Can't wait Thanks to see you at the much, live shows. Huh? Thanks for giving your money. Fluffy you can't refuse to take that money. Huh? Are you Italian or the woman that Timothy McVeigh lost his virginity to? <laughs> I, I can't tell. <laughs> Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. Hail Gein. Magus delations. Me. Hail me. <laughs>